Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. This is Beyond Confidence with your host, Divya Parikh. Do you want to live a more fulfilling life? Do you want to live your legacy and achieve your personal, professional, and financial goals? Well, coming up on Divya Parks Beyond Confidence, you will hear real stories of leaders, entrepreneurs, and achievers who have stepped into discomfort, shattered their status quo, and are living the life they want. You will learn how relationships are the key to achieving your aspirations and financial goals. Moving your career or business forward does not have to happen at the expense of your personal or family life, or vice versa. Learn more at www.diviapark.com and you can connect with Divya at contact at diviapark.com. This is Beyond Confidence and now here's your host, Divya Park. Hello, hello, hello everyone. This is Divya and as always, I'm super excited to be here with you because without you, my dear listeners, the show would not be possible. So a couple of things that I want to share as always is that one, if you have got our books, Expert to Influencer and the Entrepreneur's Garden, thank you, thank you, thank you, because the profits from the books are going to entrepreneurs impacted by COVID-19. And pandemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, and other challenges that are going on. Businesses have had a hard time surviving. So we are doing whatever we can to support them. And also my call to action, give one hour of your time every month unconditionally to help someone pass that value along. And I want to welcome our guest today, Dr. Nick Morgan. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Divya. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. And listeners, our guest has so many accomplishments that it's going to be hard to just kind of share (laughs) everything. I just want to like touch upon a few things here. Nick is one of the top communication speakers, coaches, and he's very passionate about helping people find clarity in their thinking and ideas. He has worked with Fortune 50 companies, CEOs, and presidents to help them write their speeches. And helping congressional people to deliver great TEDx talks. And he has written books as well as he has served as the editor of the Harvard Management Communication Letter from 1998 to 2003. So as you can see, there's a string of accomplishments 
behind this gentleman. And we will just kind of go through it and see what we can learn today. So Nick, let's start out from a time when you were a child. Do you recall any moment in your childhood that still stands out to you today? Yes, uh, I was what uh, we called back in the day an Irish or Boston twin. Um, that meant my sister was um, uh, 10 months older than me. So mm. I followed very fast on my sister's heels um, and we shared a crib. And, <laughs> and uh, we, were, we were called the blue babies because uh, the, my dad was in the Air Force at the time and the housing was so flimsy that it was hard in New England to heat the uh, heat the home in the winter, and so we were apparently blue with cold, and and uh, <laughs> the, uh, we got nicknamed the blue babies. Um, but my sister and I were very close, and we invented a language between us. It only had about two hundred or so words, apparently, but we would talk in this language uh, between us and make up stories in it uh, for hours at a time, and. And uh, uh, to this day, my my uh, parents are uh, are uh, are guilty of not having devotedly noted down that language because I don't remember it. <laughs> my sister has passed on, so that language, whatever it was, is gone forever. Um, and uh, that was the that was the beginning of uh, of my fascination with communications at a very simple level um, and and also actually with coaching because um, my sister as she grew up was uh, mentally ill mm -hmm. and I was sort of her um, uh, her emissary to the world I would explain I understood what was going on in her mind or at least I thought I did and and I would try to explain it to the world so that she didn't appear so strange and 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 hard for the world to understand. And I was not successful at that, but it started and I was, I was felt like I'd failed her. Um, but that began my urge to be a coach and to help people tell their stories to the world. Mm. So first of all, I'm really sorry for your loss mm. because siblings are special and having that bond, you know, just having that beautiful memory mm of having that language between you and your sister and living in that enchanted world of imagination that is priceless. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. Sure. So Nick, as you grow, where did your interest take you? Well, <laughs> the, uh, the fun really began uh, when I was 17. Um, and that's when my, uh, interest in communications really took off. And for a, a really uh, a strange reason, I was tobogganing with some friends and we're this three 17 year old boys. So we're way overconfident, <laughs> full of bravado and tra trash talking each other. And I said, we didn't go fast enough the first time we went down the hill. So they said, well, you take a run and go faster yourself if you think you're so cool. So I did. And I crashed into a tree and fractured my skull and oh, no. went into a coma for about a week. And mm. um, when I woke up from that coma, I actually 
technically died for a few minutes during that mm -hmm. uh, during that time. But I was very fortunate. I had a brilliant neuroscientist, a neurosurgeon, who rather who uh, who saved my life. Um, and when I woke up, they he gave me uh, a series of tests to see whether my brain had survived. They give you a very simple kind of IQ mm -hmm. test to see if you can still think. And I, and I was able to think, fortunately. Um, but uh, my uh, the, my brain had been scrambled in a way that they didn't test for, and I wasn't aware of at first. It wasn't until I went back to school I realized that I could no longer read the body language uh, signals that um, your close family, your close friends, your colleagues, if, if you're grown up and and working, um, automatically share with one another. So if you know somebody well. And they walk in the room and they're full of excitement. They've just had some great news, right? You, you know instantly because you, you're used to their baseline of facial expression and energy level. And so you see when there's a marked difference. We're all very good at reading that kind of body language of people that we know well. We're really accurate and, and perceptive on the whole. Well, I could no longer do that. I could mm -hmm. no longer read that body language. Um, and the... The uh, friends that, that would say hello to me would say, of course, because there are 17 year olds and they're sarcastic um, and ironic and whatever else 17 year olds are. They said, Nick, you look great. And I said, oh, thanks. <laughs> and they said, no, we didn't mean it. <laughs> you look terrible. You, you have a scar running down the side of your head. You're pale. You've lost a lot of weight. What's up with you? And, and, and I realized then slowly that I was missing this thing that I mm. had used to be able to do. So I spent a year, roughly, it took me about a year, closely studying my poor friends, trying to figure out <laughs> what does that body language mean? And how do you know when they smile that you can tell the difference between a sincere smile, for example, and a smile that's sarcastic or, or mm -hmm. uh, doesn't mean and that kind of thing is very challenging if you can't read the body language in, in that unconscious, intuitive way that most of us can. So it took me about a year. My brain healed over that time, and I retrained myself consciously. But that's where I got my interest, especially in nonverbal communications, as well as uh, 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 communications as a whole. Yeah, it's a very tough lesson for a 17-year-old to learn. Yeah, it certainly was. I was, uh, I was, uh, felt very isolated for a long time, and and for a long time, and and this may surprise your listeners. I was ashamed of it, and mm. I'm really not. I'm really not clear why uh, so much, except that I guess it was my fault that I crashed into the tree, right? But um, and so I never talked about it um, in my professional life, and then for my Next to last book, I thought it's finally time to tell this story because it's so relevant to the whole study of body language and how it works and how it doesn't. Uh, and so I, with some trepidation, wrote about this in the in the in the forward to the, the, the introduction to the book. And I got invited to give a speech to um, IBM engineers about the book, and the and the person who had had read it said, particularly, Nick, you need to tell that story in the introduction because our engineers need to hear this. And I thought, oh, oh my God, how am I going to, I was still sort of embarrassed about this. It was hard to write about. So first time I gave the speech, I was very nervous. Mm -hmm. And and I'll never forget, 
um, the, it was an audience of about 200 uh, IBM engineers. So I imagine them a very, which is it, right brain or left brain, the sort of very numerical, uh, <laughs> concrete thinkers. I didn't expect a lot of emotion from them. Um, I thought these are very smart people, but they're, uh, they're into, their, into their heads. And when the speech got done, there was this moment of silence. And I thought, oh, they hated it because <laughs> I told the story. And then the slow sort of applause started and then mm. built. And I was very moved by that. And I'm standing there accepting the applause and, and sort of changing how I had evaluated it in the moment. And this very tall gentleman in the back of the room started coming toward me. Uh, and he had a big gray beard and lots of gray hair. And, and he was huge. He said, I'm 6'1". He was 6'5 or 6 at least. So this was an intimidating presence coming toward me, getting closer and closer. And I thought, he's going to kill me. He hated the speech. <laughs> this is the kind of reaction you have in the moment. right? And what he did was he lifted me up oh. and gave me this enormous hug right in front of the whole group of his colleagues. I can't imagine what they thought. And as he set me down, then uh, I could see tears were running down his cheeks. Mm -hmm. And he said, thank you so much for telling that story. And I thought, well, uh, okay, uh, sure. I didn't realize it would move anybody that much. And then he explained his son was autistic. And he said, for mm -hmm. the first time, he thought he understood better how an autistic person must feel if you can't. And that is one of the ways in which autism can affect people, um, where it's hard to read the signals that other people send. Mm -hmm. You think you understand what they're thinking or feeling, but the signals are hard to receive. And so you don't, add, you don't accurately evaluate uh, kind of how they feel. And so he felt like I'd been able to put him inside the mind of his son. And I was astounded because it hadn't occurred to me that 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 might be helpful that way, but I've since been told that that is a, a uh, phenomenon that uh, it, what I went through was somehow something similar to like spending a year mm -hmm. as an autistic person. So absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. And thank you for sharing it because so many times when people are in the corporate, how am I going to be perceived? What are people going to think of me? I, do I even deserve to be here? Oh, I got a promotion just probably based on some external factors, based on luck. And a lot of people in my ex experience as a coach, you know, as an executive coach, when I'm coaching different people, the imposter syndrome, both for women and men alike. So one thing I do want to share is that we have turned a corner as a society. We have turned a corner as the corporate culture is turning more and more towards normalizing mental well-being, where men are also becoming more open, especially with the new generation, millennial and Z generation, that it's okay. If you're feeling embarrassed, if you are feeling ashamed of something, it's okay. It's part of you because just kind of think about it. You know, when you're standing in the sun, let's say if you think about you're having this beautiful photo shoot, you know, everybody sees that vibrance. And one of the times I'd like to share a small story, you know, like I was having a photo shoot done because as an entrepreneur, you got to have certain modicum level of presence. And as he was taking a picture and I just kind of turned around, he was like, okay, you know, look around this way. Look. And I saw my shadow there. 
and I asked him, could we take a picture of me and the shadow? Because so many times we forget that shadow is right there. We sometimes can bask in our brilliance. We question that brilliance a lot. We never question that shadow a lot. Mm. So the key is that, you know, we, if you want to be authentic, you want to be authentic. It's you as a whole with that shadows and that brilliance and that brightness, everything comes together. Mm. And that's important that we start sharing our personal stories where the way I see it is that we are on a continuum. At least that's how I feel about myself, that I'm perfectly imperfect. And mm -hmm. on that continuum, that confidence, that presence will ebb and flow. Sometimes it will be on the high, sometimes it will be on the low, and it's okay. It's about understanding the whole spectrum. So as you talk about, you have shared that you have worked with CEOs in Fortune 50 companies helping them write their speeches and their communication skills. So can you share with us a couple of stories and what tips did you give and even the CEO's experience, what every I, other being experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's choosing amongst the embarrassment of riches because uh, I've worked with some wonderful people. I guess I guess two come to mind if we have time. Um, the, the first uh, was uh, a gentleman who had just been promoted finally after 25 years in the company, which is unusual these days for anybody who's been so long in a company. Um, but he uh, he had loved the company and he'd been promoted all the way up because he was cool in a crisis. He was one of those people that just put their head down and got the job done. And now he's promoted to uh, the CEO, the boss of all. <laughs> and, and the uh, HR people are telling him the feedback is terrible. This, he calls me at six months in the job. The feedback is terrible and the board is concerned he's about to lose his job. Terrible mistakes been made. And I, I said, why? Because they must know you. You've been there 25 years. You're a known quantity. It's not like somebody new showed up, came from outside. And he said, well, apparently being cool in a crisis meant I was squelching my feelings for 25 years. And now I'm supposed to lead people and inspire them and motivate them. He said, I had no idea how to do that. And he was laughing, but he said, can you tell me how to, how to be uh, emotional? <laughs> I'm a consultant. I, I coach people in body language. So I said, sure, come on down. I, with, frankly, I had very little idea how I was going to do this because I didn't know what the problem was. Um, but he came to my office and we have a, conference room like every other office in the world with the long wooden table and the 12 chairs around it and every executive who comes into that office sits in the middle with their back to the wall and their face to the door because they know that's the power position either they've been trained that or, or they just instinctively know it, and they want to command the room he went and sat in the far corner It was really strange nobody's ever done that before and he's sitting there uh, so I had to move down to the end just to interact with him. So both of us are sitting in the far corner of this room. I felt ridiculous. Um, but uh, there we are, and we're chatting. And the whole time we're talking, his head is down. He's not making eye contact with me. And his shoulders are sort of rounded. I'm, professionally, I notice these things. So I'm starting to sort of track his body language. It's very strange, especially for somebody who is uh, – uh, an executive at a publicly traded company, 
uh, this is very odd body language. Usually those kind of people are very outgoing and typically extroverted and charismatic mm -hmm. and so on. So this was very odd. So I finally called him on it and I said, your body language is really strange. It's as if you want to be invisible. What's going on? And to my complete astonishment, he starts crying. And he says, with a lot of hems and haws and it took him a while to get the story out. He said he had grew up in a small town and he'd been bullied from age 12 to age 18. Mm. And the boy was about four years older than him, much physically, physically much mm. bigger. And it was a small town. There was just no escape for him. Um, and so he'd, he, he'd learned to protect himself as best he could by withdrawing into himself. And in terms of the way it showed up physically, he literally would, round his shoulders to make himself as small as possible to try to hide in essence in plain sight from this bully. And he said to me, and this, uh, you learn as much from your, your uh, coachees as, as the coachees learned from you. Mm -hmm. uh, this was profound for me. He said, I didn't realize that 35 years later, I was still carrying around that, uh, that sense of threat and that desire to hide. And I'd use the word invisible. He picked up on that. That was the word that triggered him. He said, I wanted to be invisible and I couldn't be, but I made myself as invisible as I could. And it was such a profound moment because I realized that um, when we talk about body language, we're always focusing on the moment. How is somebody showing up in the moment? And that's very important, but body language is always two things. It's how we are in the moment, how we're feeling, are we confident? Are we happy? Are we sad? Are we tired? Are we energized? But it's also our history. And it's all the things people have said to us, especially people that matter to us. Like if a parent said to us, oh, every time you stand that way, you look like uh, you're slouching. You don't, you don't look like a, you could ever be a winner, you know, or, or a parent who's told us the opposite, told us you look wonderful. You're beautiful. You're the most beautiful uh, child ever. You know, the parents build us up or, 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 uh, or take us down by what they say to us. And these words often matter a lot. And, and the things the parent will have forgotten that he or she said something, but it will stay with the child forever if it comes at just at the right or wrong moment. Um, and so we're always our, our history as well. We carry ourselves according to how we feel about ourselves. And those, and we learn lessons over our lifetime uh, with the, as I say, with the feedback, feedback people give us about how we are. Are we too fat? Are we too thin? Are we strong? Are we weak? Are we good looking? Are we not good looking? All these things we carry around um, and we present ourselves with that history. And so uh, becoming a charismatic CEO, often I work with people to help them do that, means taking, taking into the conscious awareness that history as well as learning how to show up charismatically in the moment. Ah, what a story. And, and that's another area that is becoming visible now, that bullying is something that's to be taken into account. It can cause trauma to young kids. Like before, you know, oh, so many times you would hear, boys will be boys, or, you know, kids right. will figure it out themselves. Yeah, kids can figure it out themselves. And yet, you know what? If somebody is just pushing somebody down, and as you talked about this gentleman and him retreating back into a shell that's showing up years and decades after. So that's not right. So it's it's good that you know you're talking about these things and these are important and tough conversations to have. 
So yeah, I'd love to hear the story about the second person as well. That's a little lighter hearted. Um, so that, that bring us back up again. <laughs> the, uh, uh, this one was quite funny, although at first I, I was very alarmed. I thought this is no way we can, we can help. Um, I didn't think the, the prospect was good. Um, I had just started working with a company with its top executives um, before the pandemic. This was uh, uh, summer 2019. And I got just started to get to know the, the uh, executive team that was working with them. And the, there was a board meeting and I hadn't worked with the CEO at that point, um, or, sorry, with the CEO in training. They had one person who was groomed, who was being groomed to be, become the CEO. So I, I worked before the pandemic with the current CEO and a couple of the other executives, but not with this gentleman who was to become the CEO. But it turned out he had a presentation to make at the last board meeting before the mm -hmm. pandemic. So he makes a presentation. I get an anguished call from HR at that point. And they say, you're going to have to help so-and-so because, um, they're suddenly worried that their successor CEO um, is incompetent. Mm. They've lost all their faith in him. And I, say, I said, well, what did he do that was so awful in this presentation that the board lost all confidence? And they said, we don't know. The board won't tell us. Mm. So um, they can't articulate it. They just felt, they just got this bad feeling about his presentation. So uh, we had a last meeting January of 2020. This is literally one of the last meetings I had face-to-face -face with this guy uh, to try to figure out what had gone wrong. And there was no um, video of the board for uh, meeting uh, for confidentiality reasons. They were afraid it might leak or something. Mm -hmm. So they didn't record any of the meetings. So we only had his memory to go on. And I said, can you tell me what it was you did? And he said, I don't know. I just, I just was me. So I thought this is not going to go well, but I said, so let's try, let's just role play. I'll pretend to be the board. You pretend to be you <laughs> give me the same speech. Let's see what happens. And I had very little hope that we'd learn anything, but two minutes into this speech, it was obvious. He'd used the word really seven times in the first couple of sentences. And so what his, and, and then he proceeded in the next couple of minutes to use the word actually. So he was saying, really, what I'm really trying to tell you is that really, actually, really, actually, really, actually, he was just, it was uh, weasel words, as we call them, um, ticks, a verbal tick out of control. It was, it was like completely obvious. So um, I was able to point this out to him and he was immediately relieved because he said, this is an easy fix. I can just resolve never to say the word really or actually again. Um, and indeed, he regained the confidence of the board all virtually because by then the pandemic was going on and they were only meeting virtually. But And that made it easier because he could actually um, put a text on the side of his computer and read that. So his, his first couple of presentations, the board were read uh, off his computer screen um, so that he wouldn't screw up and start using really and actually. Um, but I asked him afterwards, so did you, were you aware of this or did you uh, have any um, coaching ever that, that told you not to do this? And he's, it turned out he'd started doing it on purpose uh, for a, a very uh, odd reason. He'd been a lawyer mm. um, and 
when he came in, he'd been a corporate lawyer. And when he got promoted to the, um, to the CEO position or to the CEO in, in training, um, they had said in the culture of that company, the corporate lawyer is perceived as kind of a scary person. Lawyers are sort of scary. So you need to, you need to soften your, your uh, style. Don't come across as too aggressive if you're going to succeed in this company. And he thought the way to soften his style was to use a lot of weasel words. To, and, Interesting. Yeah, and it was, a, it was an attempt to make him appear more sort of ordinary guy. Um, it was not a good choice, <laughs> but it was a choice that he'd made. So it was deliberate on his part. So that the good news was it was pretty easy for him to eliminate them, but uh, it was a very uh, uh, it was a very unsuccessful choice because the board didn't pick up consciously that he was using these weasel words, but he just sounded like somebody who who was very uncertain about what he was talking about. So um, that's the lesson here is using weasel words, as we say, or words like like or you know, or saying right at the end of a sentence, as a lot of people do, or really, or actually, all these words undercut the, the confidence of people hearing you because it sounds like you're qualifying what you're saying. And I would say the easy way to remember this is when you're uh, down on, on your knee uh, and proposing to your significant other, are you going to say, I love you? Or are you going to say, I really actually love you? And if you don't know the right answer to that, then don't propose as long as it. Well, if you were to put it another way too, like let's say, so it's applicable to both men and women that, mm. you know, when you're taking your vows, your wedding vows, you're not going to say, hmm, I think I really actually love you. Right. <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. That definitely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, people Could get you? it. When you yeah. put it in terms of a, a strong statement like "I love you," uh, does not get improved by adding any other words to it. So mm -hmm. that's that's the key here: is that weasel words undercut the the power of what you're saying rather than adding to them. So let me ask you, as we get deeper into the communications piece, you know, mm. there's so many people who are scared of public speaking. It is one of the topmost fears mm -hmm. for most of the people, if somebody were giving a speech or doing a keynote speech, are there certain elements of their speech that they should focus on or that you could share with us? Sure. There are a couple of things to think about. First of all, you're right to raise the issue of nervousness because every speech, every communication, of course, but every speech especially is always two conversations. I like to say, on the one hand, it's the content, it's what you're saying. On the other hand, it's the body language conversation you're having with the audience. And so just to give a very simple example, if you walk out on stage and you're like my earlier example, your shoulders are slumped and your head is down, you say, I'm really excited to be here today. Then um, that's your body language is saying, I'm not excited to be here today. I'm terrified or I'm tired or something's wrong. And, but your words are saying, I'm really excited to be here today. Which does the audience believe? Well, of course, it believes the body language, not the actual words. And so you need to get both conversations right. You need to think about both. And yet when I ask people when they're preparing a speech, what they do, they say, well, I think about the slides or I think about what I'm going to say. Nobody ever says, I've decided to have awesome body language when I walk out there on stage. Nobody ever says that. 
And yet that's arguably as important, if not more important, um, than what you're going to say. What you're going to say, of course, is important also, because that's why you're going out there is to communicate with the audience. But if you don't get the body language right, then anything you say will be undercut by the the opposing message you're sending. So that's the first thing to understand is it's two conversations and you have to get both of them right. Mm-hmm. And so what's just, the second piece? So the, yeah, I just made it harder. So let's see if we can make it easier. So the, the, the other thing, the next thing to think about is uh, what is the problem that the audience has for which your expertise is the solution? Mm-hmm. So if you fancy yourself an expert, let's say on body language, then I can't just go out and talk about body language with that audience. They're not, they don't know that they're interested in it, or they may or may not be interested in it by chance. But if I can phrase a problem that they have and start talking about that first, then I'll get them nodding and saying, yeah, that's, I do worry about that. I get nervous for public speaking. Can you help me? Then they're prepared to listen. And I can talk about body language as a solution to that problem of nervousness in public speaking. And then then they'll listen because that's me framing it in a way that makes it possible for the audience to hear. But if I don't do that first, then uh, I'm just throwing expertise at an audience and no audience appreciates that. No human appreciates that. We very quickly, our brains get overloaded. If you say there are 12 ways in which you can improve your public speaking, that's too many. And it's me being uh, too, uh, uh, too pompous and, and, and full of information and that I'm not in service to the audience. So I need to start with where the audience is and to answer and address a need or a problem that they have uh, that which I can then solve. So mm-hmm. if you think about it that way, then that's uh, that tells you how to structure uh, your, uh, your comments. And it also does one other thing, which is if you don't know what uh, the problem that the audience has, then, um, then it prompts you, I hope, to do some research to find out. Because if you don't know where the audience is, you're not ready to speak to them. Make it relevant to the audience. Always. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. where I start is, is uh, who's your audience and what's on their minds? What are their problems? What are their challenges? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? And once you know that, then you can frame your remarks accordingly. Uh, but uh, you can't just go out there and start spouting your expertise or your knowledge because we're all information overloaded. There's too much uh, that we're required to know already on any given day. And, and so we won't be receptive to that. And if statistics are anything to go by, I'm not sure where did I read that what the amount of information we used to get in a year, we are receiving it in a day. <laughs> I've also heard, <laughs> yeah, but I've also heard it's something like, all the information in human history up until like three years ago was doubled by the last three years. And I'm sure that's rising something along those lines. Yeah. So it's Mm -hmm. vast. It's a vast, the amount of stuff that's coming at us. We have to get better and better at triaging. And and that's what people do is they, they listen for what they don't have to listen to and what they can safely avoid. And so it makes it even more important to, uh, to phrase it in terms of the audience's need. Mm-hmm. You have shared some wonderful information here. Much appreciated. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And My pleasure. I'd love to know what books you have written, where people can find you, any programs that you have that people can learn from. 
Great. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, so my website is publicwords.com. Um, and if you go to that uh, website, I've been doing a blog for a long time. So there's lots of free information there about things we've talked about and many other aspects of public speaking. Um, in particular, I'd like to draw attention to a new uh, networking group we've just launched called the Public Words Hub. Um, and uh, people who are interested in public speaking or who have begun to speak publicly are cordially invited to look at that information. I think you have the, the link for it that perhaps you can put on the, uh, on the show notes um, and uh, go to that page. It explains what it's all about. And it, if it's something that you might be interested in, then uh, shoot us an email. Uh, and, Absolutely. and listeners, if you are listening and don't have access to the show notes, it is publicwords.com forward slash public hyphen words hyphen hub. Perfect. That made it easy. Thank you. Yeah. And then in terms of books. So in 2018, my uh, editor and I got into this great discussion over lunch. It's actually 2017. And he's in the enthusiasm of the luncheon. He said, you should write a book about um, virtual communications. Um, and so I did. And when it came out in 2018, nobody wanted to read it because nobody imagined there was a problem. It turned out we had both <laughs> underestimated at the time, only 5% of Fortune 1000 companies were using video conferencing on a regular basis. This is mm -hmm. extraordinary. And then, of course, by March 2020, suddenly it was 100%. Um, and the book started selling. Um, so this is, a, <laughs> this is a book about how to communicate in the virtual world which remains a challenge for us all. If, if you haven't uh, suffered from Zoom fatigue, then, then you haven't lived these days. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something we all are subject to. Uh, so uh, um, that, that can help you there. And then for more information about the two conversations and how to create a powerful speech and then give it, this is uh, my book from uh, 2014 uh, that uh, is still getting a lot of, uh, is still helping people on that subject. So this is about how to put those two conversations together, the content of what you're saying, and also the, the uh, delivery, the body language, power cues. So and are you. both the books available on Amazon? They are. They're both published by Harvard. So they're available on Harvard's website, but also, of course, on Amazon. And as they say, wherever books are sold. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again, Nick for coming out and sharing valuable information with our audience. I appreciate that. And thank you listeners for being part of our family because I will share that. Without you, the show is nothing. So I'm here in service to you. Anytime you're looking for any stories, any skill sets, anything that can bring joy to your life and make it come alive, reach out to me at contact.wiaparik.com and let me know. I know you've always been vocal and I so appreciate you. So until next time, take care and be well. Thank you for being part of Beyond Confidence with your host, Divya Parikh. We hope you have learned more about how to start living the life you want. Each week on Beyond Confidence, you hear stories of real people who have experienced growth by overcoming their fears and building meaningful relationships. 
During Beyond Confidence, Divya Park shares what happened to her when she stepped out of her comfort zone to work directly with people across the globe. She not only coaches people how to form heart connections, but also transform relationships to mutually beneficial partnerships as they strive to live the life they want. If you are ready to live the life you want and leverage your strengths, learn more at www.divyapark.com and you can connect with Divya at contact at We look forward to you joining us next week.